0: Today I want to help you with one of the most confusing subjects and topics amongst, particularly amongst Christians. God's will, or the will of God, is very confusing. And it's a confusing phrase in the Christian vocabulary. And there's a few reasons for that, so let me explain myself. Sometimes we speak of all things happening according to God's will. And that's fine if if you speak that way. But other times we talk about being obedient and doing God's will. Well, that's not the same as the first statement. And then other times we talk about finding the will of God. So there's confusion. We're using the will of God or God's will in different forms, different expressions. And so there's at least three different ways we can think about the will of god let me explain this and this isn't original with me you can find this from all kinds of various sources but the bible shows us that god's will has two sides to it kind of like a coin right Uh, two sides to a coin for example on the first side we can think of god's will as god's will of decree and this refers to what god has ordained In other words, everything that comes to pass is according to God's sovereign will or God's sovereign decree. That's one way of looking at it. That's only one side of the coin, though. For example, Ephesians 1 verse 11 gives us an example of God's will of decree where it says, "...in Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him." who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that's God's will of decree, where everything that's coming to pass is according to God's sovereign decree. But there's another side to the coin. There is God's will of desire. Obviously, not everything that happens on planet Earth is God's will of decree. And so this refers to what God has commanded, what God desires from His creatures. And there's an example on the screen here for you. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 15-17, through 17, this is God's will of desire for you and me. God says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So God's will for you, His will of desire, is for you not to love the world or the things in the world. Why? Because He says the world's passing away. But then on the other hand, there's something that is not passing away. There is something that is eternal, and that is the will of God. That abides forever. So in this case here, the will of God means that we do what's pleasing in His sight, because we're obeying His commands. So, God's will of desire is just simple obedience and, and according to the Bible, doing what, what the Bible says, and, and then walking in God's ways. When we do that, we're pleasing God and we're fulfilling God's will of desire. Now, some people would ask, well, does God have a specific plan for my life? All right? Does He have a specific plan for my life? And, 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 uh, there's there's a third way of understanding God's will. So let me just explain this. The third way that that we sometimes speak of God's will is is this well what we're looking for is God's will of direction. Okay, that's the third point. God's will of direction, specific in other words, does God have a specific plan for my life and we want to know God's individual specific plan. We want all the questions answered maybe Maybe you don't. Uh, It's it's the who, what, when, where, how of our lives, okay? Whatever that is. We want to know God's direction for us. And there's nothing wrong, by the way, with wanting to know God's direction. That's that's good. I hope you want that. Okay? But, But we need to understand this is why there's some confusion over God's will, because... We need to distinguish between these three wills of God. So there's a will of decree, God's will of desire, and God's will of direction. So, my friends, expecting God to reveal some hidden will of direction, that third point there, is, is really an invitation for disappointment for a lot of people. It often creates indecision. Trusting in God's will of decree is a good thing. God says, hey, I am predestining things according to the purpose of my will, Ephesians 1 says. Working these things out according to the counsel of my will. Trusting in that is good. You should. Following God's will of desire is obedience. That's a good thing. You should do that. When God commands you to do something in the Scripture, you need to follow that. But then, on the other hand, that third point regarding God's will of direction—if if you're waiting for for that, your life can often end up in a mess. Now, let me explain. Okay, bear with me. Uh, some of you might have a hard time with what I'm saying. Okay, and i and I'm I'm going to be tender to some of you. If you're not understanding this, okay? So just try to bear with me. Hopefully, I'll answer your questions. And if I haven't answered all your questions by the time we're done, I'm more than happy to talk to you later, okay? But there's we need to understand there's five problems with that third approach. Well, at least five problems. I'm just going to call it the conventional approach to the will of God or the, the, the will of direction, okay? So here's, here's where you can end up with problems. Number one, we tend to focus on non-moral decisions when we're talking about God's will of direction. So, for example, Scripture doesn't tell you where to live. Scripture doesn't tell you if you should get married. Scripture doesn't tell you who to marry. Scripture doesn't tell you what career to do. Okay, Those are all non-moral decisions. And so the most important decisions for God are moral decisions, or they're moral things. So, for example, moral purity, uh, having sound doctrine, compassion, love, being a witness for Jesus Christ, being faithful, showing hospitality and, and worshiping God, having faith. All of those sort of things are God's main concerns for you. Those are his big concerns, and and if they're his big concerns, guess what? They should be ours as well. So, one of the problems with the conventional approach to the will of God is we tend to focus on non-moral decisions. Number two, the conventional approach implies that we have a sneaky God. In other words, that God has the perfect plan for our lives but he's not going to show it to us. (laughs) In other words, God's playing hide-and-seek with you. Now, let me be clear. God doesn't reveal everything about himself. Okay, The Bible's clear. You can't know everything about God and his ways. That's impossible. Uh, But God is is not trying to play hide-and-seek with you. God is a good God. See, your, your view on that is coming from the theology of, do you really see God as good? God desires what is good for you. He has revealed everything to you that you need to know. And so you've got to start with that foundation. Number three, a third problem is this conventional approach encourages a preoccupation with the future. Now, the way many Christians treat God's will is no different than some people would would look at a horoscope. Do you know what a horoscope is? You know, looking at the stars and constellations and stuff, and I'm going to determine what I'm going to do in the future based on stars or other things. Some people come to God asking questions like, well, is the job market good for me today? I wouldn't recommend going to the horoscope and determining your financial future based on the horoscope. That's dangerous. And we want to know what tomorrow is going to bring instead of just simply uh, being content with simple obedience on this journey of life. And so we sometimes, people, might obsess with the future, we might get anxious. By the way, what, what is anxiety? What, what does it mean to be anxious? Well, somebody has thought of it this way. It's living out the future before it actually gets here. You're living out the future before it gets here. And I want you to listen to what the Bible says about that in James chapter 4. Look at James 4 in your Bibles. James 4, verse 13. Look what God says about trying to live out the future before it gets here. James 4, verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a, midst, a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Let me just point out a few things from this particular text here in James 4. One of the things we see here is it's showing us the sovereignty of God. We see a God who clearly reigns supreme over all of his creation. But how can we apply this? Well, I'll give you an example. I mean, our life. How, how long do we get to live here on earth? Well, th- this Bible talks about our life being like a mist, like a vapor. It's here for a little time and gone. So guess what? If you get to, be, to live to be 100 years old, then the Lord willed it. If you get to be 50 years old, and that's how long you live, then the Lord willed it. You see, we don't have to say if the Lord wills after every single sentence. All right? <laughs> Some people do that sort of thing. That's why I'm saying that. But it, at least thinking this way is important. It needs to be in our heads and our hearts. We're thinking if the Lord wills in, in regards to all of our plans and what we do. So we must live our lives believing that all of our plans are subject to the will of God, because that's the way it should be. We, we need to be humble in looking to the future, because we don't control the future. God controls the future. God controls it. And So we need to be humble in regards to our plans and the future. But also we must renounce our sinful desire to know the future. And to be in control. See, one of the deep idols of our hearts, maybe not for you, but for a lot of people, a deep idol is control. They can't stand not being in control of of things and events in people in their lives. The reality is we're not gods. And the Bible says we walk by faith, not by sight. So we walk into the future with confidence, Why? Because we're trusting in the God of the future. The future is actually known by God. Now, why is this important? Because worry is a sin. Why is worry a sin? Worry about the future is actually, technically, the sin of unbelief. Because worry shows that our hearts are not resting in God. They're not trusting in God's promises for you. So. That's one of the problems. Number four, uh, a fourth problem with this conventional approach to the will of God, God's will of direction, is it undermines personal responsibility, accountability, and initiative. See, we need to be careful that we're not using God as some sort of a trump card. You ever played a a card game where where there's some sort of a trump card in there? There's a card that is more powerful than all the others, and... You know, if, like, if you're playing rook, you know, you just lay that rook bird out there and, and then you could just destroy everybody and take and win because you got that card. And sometimes we, we, we use God as kind of like a trump card in our decisions. You know, just because you pray doesn't mean that your decisions are beyond objection and critique. I'll give you some examples of the sayings that, we may use it, kind of takes away personal responsibility. These are some things that I've sort of said things like this. I've heard people say these things. So just think about this. Here's one that takes away personal responsibility. God told me to do this. Anybody ever told you that? God told me to do this. And then when somebody tells you that, you're like, ooh, that shuts the conversation down. Now what do I say? Or or some people say, well, God's leading me here to do this job, to go to this place. So let me give you some different terminology that I suggest you use. Because that kind of way of talking, when we say God told me to do this, or God's leading me here, is actually taking away personal responsibility and accountability and initiative. So may I suggest you talk more like this. Well, I prayed about it, and this seems to be the best. Do you see the difference? Very slight difference. It's not taking away prayer. It's not taking away seeking God's face and using His wisdom in in all the decisions that you make. By all means, do that and, and pray about that. But sometimes there can be more than one right answer. And so sometimes we pray about it, and it's good for us. We can just say, "Well, this seems to be what the best thing to do in this situation." Or, or another way you can you can say it is: "It seems like God is leading me." But there's a difference there. I hope you understand that. The uh, number five, the, uh, the fifth problem with the conventional approach is it enslaves us in subjectivism. You say, "Well, what's subjectivism?" Well, here's one definition I found. It's that knowledge is just merely subjective. There's no external or objective truth. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I, I know you might some of you might find this difficult what I'm talking about here. Our decisions are subjective sometimes. In other words, that's that's not always a bad thing. Sometimes you have to go on a hunch, sometimes you go on a feeling or uh, it's not bad to make non-moral decisions based on your gut or your feelings. We all do that. But what is bad, though, is when we're actually slaves to this kind of subjectivism. So the problem with that is if you're a slave to subjectivism, then you never take any risk because you never feel peace about your decisions. Now, here's the problem that people can get into. Well, there's there's two kinds of problems that we can actually get into when all of our decisions are coming from subjective attempts to discern God's will. Number one, think about this. How do you know when an open door is the Lord's open door, or is it the devil tempting you? That's really hard sometimes. I have struggled with that several times in my life. Is it God opening the door, or is, it, is this Satan tempting me? Hmm, hard to tell sometimes. Uh, another issue you need to think about is, how do you know when a closed door is the Lord's answer to your prayer, or is the Lord testing you? That's, that can also be very hard to tell the difference sometimes. So this conventional approach can enslave us in subjectivism need to be aware of that. So, hopefully at this point, some of you are asking this question, is there a better way to walk in the will of God? Glad you asked. Look at Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Jesus is very helpful here. This is Jesus' way. Okay? Not my way, Jesus' way. I hope it, it is your way. All right, Jesus is helping us here with decisions of life. How do we live in this world? All right, look at Matthew 6, verse 25. Matthew 6, 25, Jesus says, Therefore, I tell you, Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So that's Jesus teaching on a better way of walking in the will of God. Let me explain a few things, highlight a few things. The big idea of the passage here is Jesus does not want us to worry about the future, but instead, what does He specifically say? He says, you must seek first His kingdom. And so, my friend, please understand that worry and anxiety are not merely bad habits that a lot of people have. In fact, they're they're more than that. They're actually sinful fruits that are actually blossoming from the root of unbelief. That's the root problem, unbelief. And so in verse 30, it's interesting, Jesus says worry is actually evidence of little faith. So that's why I'm saying, according to Jesus, the root problem is unbelief. So, worry is a spiritual issue. It's not just a bad habit. It's a spiritual issue. And how do you fight worry and anxiety? You fight it with faith, belief. You have to believe the right thing, of course. So let me encourage you to come to God's Word here in the Bible to find out what is it that I need to believe. Well, that's a big subject which we really can't elaborate on at the moment. But notice also in verse 33, there's a crucial understanding here. Uh, Well, uh, Let me put it this way. Verse 33 is helpful and is, is crucial for understanding the will of God in our lives. Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Well, notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't call us to seek some divine word. But instead, God calls us to run hard after Him. To to run hard after His commands. Seek His glory. See, it is the daily decision to seek God's kingdom or ours. That's the decision you have to make. Are you going to submit to Christ's lordship in your life or not? Not. Are you going to live according to God's rules or your own? That's what Jesus is saying here. So how do we live in God's will? Jesus says, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. That's the priority. And then you leave all the other matters, things like your life, what you wear, your food, clothing, all those kind of things, we leave them in God's capable hands. He's going to to take care of you. Trust him. So, what is the will of God for us? I'm glad you asked because I know God's will for you. (laughs) I'm saying that kind of, I'm being cheeky on purpose. How do I know God's will for you? Well, guess what? It's the same for all of us. Same for me. God's will for me is the same for you. I'll give you just three points, three basic things in Scripture. We know for sure this is God's will. This is a good starting point. It's only a starting point. I'll give you three examples. It is God's will for you to live holy, separate lives. How do I know that? Because the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, For this is the will of God. What is the will of God? Your sanctification. Your sanctification is God's will for you. That just means you're to be set apart from sin unto God. God's will is for you to always rejoice, pray, and give thanks. Again, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God. Not even doubt. It's clear. Another one. Obvious will of God for you and me is we're to be filled or controlled with or by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5 17 says, Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk, but be filled with the Spirit. Now I've left part of that verse out. But you understand, God commands us, it is his will. For you to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. It's not an option. Alright, so those are some obvious ones. Good starting point. If you're if you're struggling with how do I know God's will for my life? What, what is the will of God for me? There's a good starting point. And so at this point, some of you might be saying, Well, okay, that, that's nice. Uh, I think I agree with with what you're saying. Uh, that approach is certainly free. But I still have a lot of choices to make, don't I? So does this mean that God's not going to help me make decisions in my life? Is God just some distant deity out there somewhere who is uninvolved in all the details of my life? Those are fair questions, by the way. If that's the way you're thinking at the moment, I understand. Fair questions. And so I believe God does guide us in decision-making. Hopefully I can prove that from the Bible. So I'm saying yes, it is proper for Christians to pray, to seek God, seek His wisdom as you face all the various decisions of life. By all means, do so. But how does God guide? How does He guide? I know we've, we've, we've looked at this passage before, but it's incredibly helpful. So let's go there again. Or, sorry, not Ephesians. Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. Let's see how God guides. Because <laughs> He does. God clearly guides your life. How does He do that? We're going to look at a key text for understanding how God speaks to us. Hebrews 1. Let's start in verse 1. Verse 1. Hebrews 1, verse 1 says, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. Let's look at uh, some statements here in in this text that will help us understand God's guidance in our lives. Number one, God guides us by His invisible providence, and, and He does this at all times. God guides you by His invisible providence at all times. For example, we read earlier Ephesians 1, verse 11, which says that God works all things according to the counsel of His will. In other words, God is lovingly directing your life. God knows everything about you, more than you even know about yourself. And so He's working behind the scenes, down to the smallest details, even the Smallest parts of your body. God's even working there. And often, by the way, we're not even aware of what God is doing. Like we we don't even know a lot of times about our guardian angels and how God's using them in our life. How many times have we should have been killed and God saved our life because, because of his providence or whatever it is, okay? A lot of times we don't even know because God's providence is working. Another thing for us to think about is number two. God has spoken to us by His Son. Praise God. God has spoken. This is how He's chosen to reveal Himself. By His Son, it says. So Jesus Christ here, according to Hebrews 1, is the superior revelation. That's the whole point of of Hebrews, showing that Jesus is superior. He's supreme. So what does it mean that God now speaks to us by His Son? Well, it means that God shows His own person and character in the face of Christ. Now God's word to us is centered on Jesus. Well, how did God speak? God spoke when Jesus was here on earth. He did it. Well, we see in Scripture He spoke through the life of Jesus the death, the resurrection of Jesus. We have the teachings of Jesus. So don't just think of Jesus' teachings. Don't just think of his sermons as God speaking to you. Jesus' life, death, resurrection speaks. Uh, God also spoke through the apostles. So as, as Jesus empowered the apostles and the epistles, all these letters we have in the New Testament, We were commissioned to testify about Jesus and his work and his continuing ministry in this world. So, God has spoken to us by his Son. And number three, God continues to speak to us by his Son. But he's doing this through the Holy Spirit in the Scriptures. So, bear with me, all right? When Hebrews was written, Jesus Christ was no longer on the earth. He's no longer speaking audibly in person. By this time, Jesus had already died. He had already risen. Jesus had already ascended to heaven. And and so you couldn't meet with Jesus face to face, but he was still speaking. How? How? It says he's speaking. How? Well, this is interesting. If you look at chapter 3, turn over there. I'll just show you something interesting here. Because Hebrews operates under the assumption that the son's speaking takes place through the Holy Spirit in the Scriptures. Look at Hebrews three, verse seven. This is very interesting. Hebrews three seven, the author says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says. Just stop there. That that's an amazing phrase. A lot of times we just gloss over that quickly, and miss the significance. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, and then he goes on, hopefully you can see this in your Bibles, he's actually quoting from Psalm 95, obviously from your Old Testament. So it's remarkable that this word of Scripture here, written a thousand years prior, can be introduced here with the words, "...the Holy Spirit says." Here's the point, my friends, (laughs) if you're not getting the point. here, Here is the point, that the Scriptures are not a dead letter. The Scripture is not a dead letter. In fact, God continues to speak through the Bible. That's why it says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says. As he was quoting from Psalm 95. That's incredible. Uh, a fourth point we need to make here is that apart from the Spirit working through the Scripture, God does not promise to use any other means to guide us, nor should we expect Him to do so. Now I know that might open a can of worms in our day, and I'm I'm well aware of this. Uh, for me, this is this is really good news, and I hope for you as well, because. When we read the Bible, we're know, we actually know for sure, 100% sure. We don't have to guess. We know we're hearing from God every time we look at the Word of God. That's awesome because His Word, Hebrews even says this, you can look at chapter 4, that His Word is alive. It's not a dead book. It is active. It is powerful. It, in other words, it is working in you. Specifically you, because look what Hebrews 4, verse 12 says. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Wow. Praise God that he does that for us. Because discerning the intentions of your heart... Man, without God's enabling, that's impossible. That is impossible. Praise God. He's given us His Word that is so active, it's so powerful, so alive, it's able even to do that. Discern the intentions of your heart. Let me discuss some tools that can you can use that'll help guide you we've been talking about well how does god guide us well there's some other things that god does use to help guide us but all of these come with a warning all of them come with a warning and i'll explain how, hopefully they can be helpful but they're often not helpful okay so let me give you four big ones that i've i've read about i've heard about that are often confusing to people And sometimes we as Christians use this kind of language, so I want to just clear up the money waters. All right, That's my goal here. Number one is this this terminology of open doors. Notice I put quotation marks around open doors. Christians often speak about these open doors from the Lord. I think think what we mean by that is that God's giving me some great opportunity uh, when when we kind of say that sort of thing. And so this sort of thing can be good if we see the open door as an opportunity to do something that we already know is, is a good thing, something we should do. For example, I, I sometimes speak this way, God gave me an open door to share the gospel with one of my workmates. Great. Nothing wrong with that, because that's a good thing. God commands me to be a witness for Jesus Christ. And so, sometimes God does give us those kind of open doors, and you should walk through those open doors, by all means. God gives you an opportunity to share the gospel with your neighbor. Take the open door. (laughs) That's a good thing. But there's also foolish ways that we can kind of use this open door theology. For example, Christians are sometimes guilty of using the absence of an open door as an excuse for their own laziness. Now, I might be stepping on some toes here, and I might be doing this on purpose. <clears throat> for example, sometimes we might send out our CVs or resumes, and we might send them to a few companies we want to work for, and uh, we only send them to the ones we want to work for, of course, right? And, uh, you know, often the result is you you send out a CV or resume, and you you don't get any response. And uh if that is the case with you you, you, you know, you might be tempted to say, well, hey, the Lord's not opening any doors. Well, that might be, perhaps. <laughs> but maybe you also need to make some phone calls, maybe you need to knock on some doors, maybe you need to go visit some other potential employers, maybe you need to go see some employment agencies. Maybe you need to do something else before you start blaming God for your unemployment. Do you see the point? We can be tempted to use so-called lack of open doors for laziness. That's just one example. Another one is metaphorical fleeces. A tool that God can use to guide you, but it comes with grave warnings, okay? And by metaphorical fleeces, of course, I'm, this approach to God's will comes from the story of Gideon in the book of Judges, which, of course, is in your Bible. And Gideon was one of the judges whom God used, and he asked God uh, for some special dew. Remember, he asked both ways, put dew on the fleece and not on the grass. Uh, God did that. So we'll flip it around. All right, so do it the other way. And by the way, there are good reasons to think that Gideon's request is not a normative example. It's very dangerous when you start using stories in the Bible to decide what you're going to do in your life. Wouldn't recommend that. Uh, For for example, just for starters, Gideon didn't have a Bible. Uh, More than likely, he didn't even have a single page of God's Word. The other thing you need to keep in mind is, is the book of Judges generally doesn't provide a good example of much of anything. It's it's a terrible book to read. Uh, the, the, The phrase that keeps popping up in the book of Judges is they did what was right in their own eyes. That's not good. And so you need to keep the main theme of the book of Judges in mind as you're looking at examples and maybe using Gideon as an example. Keep the theme in mind. And so we need to think twice before we copy practices or attitudes we find in the book of Judges. Gideon's request, by the way, was probably actually an indication of his own cowardice, his own unbelief. It's not to be used necessarily as an example of of, of faithful, wise decision-making. So here's the bottom line, my friend. Humble goals and loosely held plans are good. Expecting God to do tricks is bad. Do you see the difference? By all means, have humble plans. Hold those plans loosely, because everything, remember, everything is Lord willing. But do not expect God to do tricks for you. God does not have to go jump through hoops and do everything you want him to do the way you want set him up to be, like Gideon was doing. Not a good way for God to guide and lead. So there's, there's grave warning there. Okay, Can he lead that way? Yes, he did with Gideon, but that's not a good example. Uh, another tool that God can use to guide you, God has used this, but again, it comes with grave warnings, is random Bible verses. You ever done this one? Yeah, this is, uh, you know, sadly, some Christians put greater stock in uh the Word of God when it's just randomly selected than when they're actually just systematically reading it chapter by chapter, day after day. And so, my friends, the Bible carries no greater weight just because verses are flipped to at random. There's great danger with that kind of approach. Here's the problem. You can easily take verses out of context. When you're just randomly flipping the Bible verses, and when you're taking stuff out of context, the danger is you can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say. I'll give you an example of. There's there's one that I learned a long time ago, when I was studying the Bible at the Christian University, learning hermeneutics. This is a joke, by the way. Right? It's a joke, but hopefully you get the point. Some of you may have heard the, the joke about the guy who was hoping to get a word from the Lord. And he just happened to turn to Matthew chapter 27, verse 5, where it says that Judas went and hanged himself. Well, he wasn't happy with the word for the day, so the man flips his Bible open to another page where he, re- he read Luke chapter 10, verse 37. Jesus said, You go and do likewise. Now, you're supposed to laugh at that because that's a joke. But at the same time, it's not funny because there's heaps of people who randomly flip to Bible verses, and to them, the random Bible verses is more of God's leading in their life than the systematic reading of Scripture chapter by chapter and day by day. It's dangerous. And, and by the way, that's a really extreme example, but I hope you get the point. Hopefully, it does get the point across. We, we are not to put any stock in out-of-context answers that we somehow read into the Bible. Dangerous. So beware of random Bible verses taken out of context. The last one that we need to be aware of is impressions. Impressions. Now, we all go with our gut, feelings, or impressions at times. In other words, what I'm saying is we make decisions based on our feelings, our intuition. And oftentimes, there's nothing wrong with that approach when when it comes to non-moral decisions. But the problem with impressions is not that they're subjective. The problem is when we assume they're actually from God. So don't confuse impressions with certain words from the Lord. (laughs) There's a certain religious group in our world that likes to use that kind of language. And they'll often walk up to you and say, hey, I have a word for you. And by the way, when they do that, and they say, I have a word for you, say, show me in the Bible, please. Please show me in the Bible. And so we need to beware that Confusing impressions with certain words from God are not the same thing. They're not. So let me just kind of summarize these these points here for you. Open doors, fleeces, random Bible verses, and impressions, if they're interpreted in the right way, they have their place in your life. Notice the problem, if interpreted rightly. Uh, often those tools have been wielded for more harm than good. You say, well, why? Well, <laughs> I-, I hope we've the, we're getting the point across. How can that happen? Well, they're easily abused. They can be manipulated. They often lend themselves to superstition. Those are the dangers. Easily abused, manipulated, and often lend themselves to superstition. So beware. Can God use them? Yes. But so can Satan. They're very dangerous. Your, your flesh, your heart can use those things to deceive you. So beware. So what should we do? God wants us to live a godly life. Okay, I, I think we all know that God, God's will for your life is to be christ like to be conformed to the image of Christ how how though right that that's that's God's moral will, but again we often want to know God's will of direction the the non moral decisions of life well what do you, what do you do you know I can't tell you everything okay uh, sometimes I wish it was as, as easy as you know Follow these 11 steps or take this pill. Read this book. It's not that easy. You need wisdom. That's one reason why God gave you the book of Proverbs. That's why God talks about wisdom. And so you see, my friend, God doesn't tell us the future, nor does he expect you to figure it out. However, when we don't know which way to turn, and, and you are faced with tough decisions in life, God doesn't expect us to go blind and kind of like grope in the darkness for some hidden will of direction. God doesn't want you to be that way, but what he, He does expect is for you to trust Him, to be wise, pray, look in the Scriptures. God's given you the Scriptures. Look for the wisdom there in the decisions that you need to make in life. So my friends, what does God expect? God wants you to trust Him and to be wise. If you do that, if you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, you're going to stay on the path. God will take you where you need to go day by day and at the end of your life, you're going to find you are in the center of God's will. May God enable us to trust Him, and to be wise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for the Scriptures and for Your Spirit who guides us into all truth. Thank You for this clarity. I, I hope that we will understand more of Your will and how there's, there's various shades of it. To so open our eyes that we would today behold wonderful things from Your Word. May this approach be freeing. May we not be caught up in controversies, so many questions, superstitions. Uh, May we not be manipulated or easily abused by by people's opinions and thoughts and other things that can lead us astray. So may we know the truth here. May we know Jesus. He speaks to us through, his, through Your Word, by the Spirit. We can trust this. May we trust it. Give us this confidence, we pray, that we would know that this is Your will for our lives. May we be content with Your will. Convict us when we are discontent. we struggle with that, sometimes we want to know other stuff that You haven't revealed. So may we just rest in peace and confidence in you in those situations. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.